Hello and welcome to Movie Culture. Today we are talking about Finding Dory. Finding Dory was released in 2016 and is Pixar's 17th feature film. The movie was directed by Andrew Stanton and was written by Stanton and Victoria Strauss. If it's been a minute since you've seen this movie, here is a quick synopsis. And if you have seen it, we will put timestamps in the show notes so you can skip to the discussion. A year after Finding Nemo, Dory has a flashback of her parents remembering that they used to live at a marine life center in California. Nemo, Dory, and Marlin again set off on a cross-ocean adventure. Upon arrival, Dory is separated, but maneuvers her way around with the help of an octopus, Hank, a whale shark, Destiny, and a beluga whale, Bailey. She finds the tank where she grew up, but the rest of the blue tangs are gone. Prepared to be shipped to an aquarium in Cleveland, she races to them before the truck leaves. Concurrently, Marlin and Nemo work to find Dory, finally catching up to her in the pipes outside the truck. Hank takes the trio to the rest of the Blue Tangs, who reveal that Dory's parents left years before, shortly after she did. As the fish get loaded onto the truck, Hank grabs Dory and tosses her away down a drain and back to the ocean, accidentally leaving Marlin and Nemo. Back in the ocean, Dory is sad, lost, alone, and again without her memory. At her wit's end, she finds a shell which leads her to where her parents have been since she first left. With the help of her parents and the now-free Destiny and Bailey, they track down the truck and drive it into the ocean with the help of Hank's seven legs, where all the fish are reunited. So, Tay, what did you think of this movie? I really liked this movie. Yeah, me too. I think that the more I sit with it and think about the movie, the more I appreciate it and the mm-hmm. more that I like it. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. We both, cards on the table, were not super excited coming into this movie. For whatever reason, when we first saw it five years ago, presumably, we don't have great memories of that. But upon watching it right now, I don't know. I really enjoyed it. I think there's a lot to this movie. Yeah. So let's start with what we liked. Great. The first thing I liked about this movie is how well paced it is. It gets back to what Pixar did a lot right at the beginning. We talked about this in some early episodes where you're in the action right away. It's barely 15 minutes into the movie before Dory, Marlin, and Nemo are back with Crush traveling across the ocean. And that works because we already know these characters. They're already well set up. We don't need to be introduced and sit with them. We understand immediately where they are, what they want, and the movie gets us going. So I thought that that started it on a really good foot, and it kept being a really engaging movie because of the pacing. Yeah, I agree. I think it does something similar to Finding Nemo, where it's constantly moving. Mm -hmm. You're going from one place to another. The movie itself sets it up as if it's going to be another odyssey across the whole ocean where now we're looking for Dory's parents. Yeah. And they have one scene in the ocean that is very reminiscent of Finding Nemo when when they're swimming through the kelp and the crabs are saying shush and they're chased by a giant squid. Oh, so fun. Yeah, it's very familiar. Yeah. But immediately after that, They find this catch and release center and 
then Dory is in the aquarium. And so we're in a very different setting from Finding Nemo. Yeah, it maintains the same feeling where you're meeting these new different characters, you're going from place to place, but it's all contained within this marine life center instead of across the boundless ocean. Yeah, so she's going from exhibit to exhibit. Exactly. And I think that's really smart because otherwise it would feel redundant because we've already seen the whole epic ocean journey in Finding Nemo. Mm -hmm. And I think it's smart that this movie doesn't necessarily try to do the exact same thing. I totally agree. The thing I really like about this structure is that it introduces us to all of these other really great side characters. That was something we really liked in Finding Nemo, right? We get to meet the sharks. We get to meet the jellyfish, the school of fish, everyone in the tank, the pelican, the whole gang. This movie is the same sort of thing. There are all these characters, whether they are sea lions or whale sharks or beluga whales or Hank the Octopus, who we get to interact with and meet and all have some fun, quirky stuff. And and also because it's an aquarium, it lets us dive into each individual habitat and see how fish act in their own surroundings. So I think that's really fun too. Yeah, I agree. The side characters are great. And if we're talking about characters, we have to talk about Dory. Oh, yeah. Baby Dory is so cute. I always feel like I'm shouting out the cute stuff in these Pixar movies. But Baby Dory is really up there, top tier. She's just a pair of giant eyes and then like a tiny little blue fish body. She's very much engineered in a way that your human brain is supposed to attach because she's cute with her giant eyes. Yeah, and it works. Yeah, we're human. We are human. And adult Dory, too, is great. I mean, she's a character that's hard not to root for. It's fun to watch a character that is so optimistic. Mm -hmm. And even though she struggles, she is constantly moving forward. She is still just keeping swimming. I agree. I really liked I really like Dory in this movie. She was not, to be honest, one of my favorite characters in the original movie, in Finding Nemo. In Finding Nemo, I felt like her losing her memory gets a little bit old and is a little bit used for plot reasons. And I really liked that this movie really gets inside of her head and shows how scary that could be, how much it influences her every second of every day, really her entire experience, her entire life. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think back to what Andrew Stanton said about Dory in Finding Nemo, Mm -hmm. which is that she's the angelfish. She's Marlin's angel. And thinking about a character as an angel strips them from their full humanness. Yeah. So I, I really did appreciate that they gave Dory more depth. And these things that in Finding Nemo kind of serve to make her seem childish and angelic really are given more weight here. And it's examined what what would it actually feel like to live this way. In that way, it is really similar to a movie we've talked about, not as part of the Pixar universe, but one of the Oscar nominees, The Father. And I know that feels very strange intuitively to compare Finding Dory to the Academy Award winner, Anthony Hopkins. But it's kind of the same story. It's about characters who have lost their memory, who have no ability to remember new new things or to place their memories in context of each other. And the movies show how scary that can be. Yeah, it does. Of course, Finding Dory is much more hopeful than the father. Much more optimistic, yeah. So do we want to talk about the theme of it? Sure, let's do that. 
What did you think the theme was? I think that what this movie is really trying to say is that having a disability does not mean that you cannot live a full, happy life. Yeah, I totally, totally agree. And I really appreciate the way that it does that. I appreciate the way that it treats Dory's short-term memory loss as real. Mm -hmm. There's no scene where she is able to magically not have that anymore. Yeah. The scene that really stood out to me is when she's moving from the open ocean exhibit where she thought that her parents were going to be. Mm -hmm. And she realizes that she has to go through the pipes in order to get to quarantine because that is where she thinks they actually are. And this is something that through the movie she's been really hesitant to do because she knows that she can't handle directions. Right. Throughout the movie, she's been able to have people help her and guide her and hasn't had to go through the pipes. But finally, she's forced to go through the pipes. It's the only way that she is going to get to her parents. Mm -hmm. And there are these crabs in the open ocean exhibit who tell her, it's okay, focus, and you can do it. And so mm -hmm. she tells herself, all right, don't forget, don't forget. And she goes through the pipes. And it could have been a moment of her kind of willing her disability away. Yeah. But she can't because it's a real thing that she has to deal with. Mm -hmm. And she does end up forgetting the directions. Mm -hmm. And I thought that that was really powerful because it's not a movie that's trying to say that if you just try hard enough, then this won't be a problem anymore. Yeah. And the way that she gets out of the pipes is that she communicates with the whales, with her friends, mm -hmm. and they help her. And just the idea that Dory, because of who she is... Because she's so optimistic and kind, has made these friendships, and the whales care about her and want to support her and are happy to support her. Mm. And she gets through her disability by relying on her support network that she has built, the support network that genuinely cares about her. Not even gets through her disability, but manages to achieve her objective to get where she wants to go. Full stop. Yeah. Like, she just, she knows that she can't take directions well, so she figures out another way to do it. And that's great. And that's that's the takeaway. It doesn't need to be, ah, she can't do directions. Or, as you're saying, what would be kind of worrying is, ah, she could do directions when she really needs to, which undermines everything. Instead, it's like, no, she just figured out a different way that works with her unique skills. Right. And it was really great. And I, I really appreciated that the movie was doing that. I also, I've talked about looking for theme in change in, mm -hmm. in movies. And I think that the most change actually comes in the side characters. Mm. So when you look at the octopus and Dory's whale friends, mm -hmm. over the course of the movie, they go from being too afraid of the ocean and feeling like they can't possibly survive because of their various disabilities. And Dory is the one who shows them that they don't have to be afraid and kind of pushes them and encourages them to get out into the ocean. That's such a great point, because this movie isn't just about Dory's disability. It is about disability more broadly, that almost all of the characters have some sort of disability in one way or another. Right. The whale shark, Destiny, is nearsighted and can hardly see anything. The octopus only has seven legs instead of eight. 
and also a crippling fear of being around anyone else. What he really wants is to go is to go to Cleveland and be in one small box alone, sealed off from everyone else forever. Right. And I love that Dory shows them that they don't have to be afraid and that this is something that is real for them and something mm-hmm. that they will have to learn to work around. Mm-hmm. But it is not the end for them. It doesn't prevent them from going out there and living. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that in this movie, it's not just about other people helping Dory, although that is an important part of it. Mm -hmm. It is also about the way that Dory helps others and helps them feel less afraid to be free. Yeah, I totally agree. And really, I don't know how much more I have to add on, on what you just said, because Personally, I don't feel like I have the language to talk about this more deeply, nor the life experience. I really love the way the movie talks about this theme and the way that we see it work through with Dory, with the other characters. There's a moment in the movie where Marlon and Nemo have trapped themselves into this small tank at a gift shop, and Marlon's trying to scheme his way out and nothing makes sense and there's there's no conceivable way. And Nemo says, what would Dory do? Right. That becomes a theme for Marlon throughout the movie. What would Dory do? Because Dory does make things happen. And sometimes they're in unconventional ways, but things really do work out for her. And Marlon needs to tear down his own ideology and his own conceptions of what he is able to do to pick up what she can teach him, even though she isn't there in the moment, but what to understand what he's learned from her through their friendship. Yeah. And I think it's not just that things work out for her. It's not just that she's a very lucky fish, Mm -hmm. although she does seem to be a very lucky fish. Yeah. But it is that she is able to look at her present situation and just look at her immediate surroundings and then go towards the thing that makes sense in the moment. She doesn't Mm -hmm. overthink things. Yeah. And that is ultimately how she finds her way back to her family is that she, in each given moment, is saying, okay, where am I right now? How do I move on to this next step without worrying so much about the distant past or the distant future? Yeah, she's very much in the present. Yeah. So I think that the biggest point of change is the side characters, but I think it's also useful to look at Dory herself. Mm -hmm. And I like some parts of it, but I have some trouble with other aspects of it. What parts? So the part that I really like when we look at Dory's change over the course of the movie is that she learns not to apologize. That is something that is a pretty big sub theme of this movie where she will constantly be apologizing for her disability. She'll saying, oh, sorry, I have short term memory loss. I'm so sorry. I forget things. That's really important that it's never just I have short term memory loss. It's sorry, I have short-term memory loss. Right. And we keep seeing these flashbacks of baby Dory, so cute, with her (laughs) parents. And every time her mom says, don't apologize for this, you don't have Mm -hmm. to apologize for this. And I think that that is such an important message when we're talking about disability. It's not the fault of someone Mm -hmm. for having a disability, and it should not be the expectation that anyone needs to apologize for their disabilities. And so I really appreciated that, that 
Dory, over the course of the movie, learns that this, this isn't something that she has to internalize as being wrong with her, that she has to apologize to everyone around her. I was really worried this movie would not handle the issue of disability well, but it, yeah. <laughs> it does it, at least by my understanding, very well. But you said that this was part of a critique. Yes. Um, I really liked that. And I think that that's enough. That's pretty huge in a movie about disability. And I agree with you that at least from our personal experience, we think that the movie handled it well. But again, we aren't experts. And we will put some articles in the notes from people who have thought about this way more than we have and who understand this way better and forward you in that direction if that is something you are interested in. Yes. Um, So I thought that it was really good. And I really, really appreciated that as a theme. I thought that in itself is enough to make this a very good movie. Mm -hmm. Something that I did feel, though, is that a lot of this movie felt a little bit like it was treading the same ground as Fighting Nemo. Dory as a character is much more fleshed out here. We see her backstory. We see things from her perspective. But also some of the challenges that she has and and especially her interactions with Marlin are pretty much the same as what she experiences in Finding Nemo. Yeah. They have the fight in the beginning that kind of propels Dory to go off on her own. Marlin says basically the exact same thing he says to Nemo at the beginning of Finding Nemo. And what he says to Dory in the middle of fi- of Finding Nemo, yeah. which is, you know, you can't do stuff on your own. Like, you can't do this. I feel like I have a hot Marlon take, which is that Marlon, while being an absolutely committed and brave father and friend, is also low-key problematic and constantly undermines the people in his life. I don't know how low-key it is. <laughs> I think that, well... Part of what I I didn't love about Finding Dory is that that was Marlon's entire character journey Yeah, in Finding Nemo. It was him learning to trust the people around him, even if they approached things in a way that was different from how he would approach it. Mm-hmm. And so while it is probably more realistic that he has the same problems in Finding Dory, I mean, people in real life don't just solve their internal problems and then are better people forever for all time, it does feel a little bit like we have backtracked here with Marlon. I actually kind of liked it within the context of the movie Mm -hmm. because Marlon is this way, right? He has trouble listening to other people. And in this movie, he's better at it, right? He understands that this is something he should focus on. He doesn't need to be convinced into it. He just needs to be reminded. And I kind of viewed it as a habit that is so ingrained in him. He's lived his whole baby boomer life without (laughs) needing to reassess this characteristic. So at this point, it's in too deep. And even though he has unlearned this, he can't get it out of his immediate reactions. Marlon does know that he has to trust Nemo. He has to trust Dory. And he does that over and over and over in this movie, right? He really does. But none of that stops it from being his first reaction to mm. say, no, 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 let me do it because you guys aren't able. And I I feel like that's really true to life is understanding that there is a difference between our decisions and our reactions, right? It's like a system one, system two part of the brain that 
Marlon's instincts are different from his intentional thought. And I like that in Finding Nemo, his intentional thoughts, that's what gets adjusted. But it's much, much harder to change your instincts, your habits. So I really appreciated it. Wow, yeah. Okay, you've kind of convinced me. I, I, I do like that. I, I like that way of looking at it. Of course, Marlon is still doing the problematic thing. So I understand <laughs> where you're coming from. It's like, we did hit these character beats already. Right. And the thing with Dory is that she gets through a lot of obstacles by just keep swimming through them. Mm -hmm. And it is literally the same thing that she has done already in Finding Nemo. Mm -hmm. And so it's just, it's not that these are bad beats. These are character and plot beats that we yeah. have loved. It's just that repeating them makes them feel less impactful. We've already seen this before. I almost feel, and I mean this in the nicest way, that a good half of this movie is built off footage from the cutting room floor from Finding Nemo. And I know that sounds bad, but enough of the character beats and, and the characters are similar enough and aspects of the adventure are similar enough that there's enough of it that I feel like we're storyboarded for Finding Nemo. What if you could get an octopus and figure out how octopuses move around above ground? Wouldn't that be fun? What about a squid chase? Wouldn't that be fun? There's all that stuff that they had to take out. You know, those were those were the darlings that got killed for Finding Nemo. And then they got the opportunity to do a sequel. So they put them all back in. Yeah. And because we loved Finding Nemo so much, a direct companion with similar plot moments and identical characters. Hey, we'll take that. That's still good. Yeah. And a great theme. Yeah. Excellent. Can we talk a little bit about the climax of the movie? Yeah. Remind me, what is that? So that is when Marlon and Nemo are on the truck to Cleveland and Dory has to go get them back. And they have to all return safely to the ocean. And there is technically not a car crash. Okay, so I think this is major progress for Pixar. Because they had a car stop in the middle of a highway and right. other cars didn't crash okay, into it? So <laughs> I think that I I have my story beat reasons why I didn't like Finding Dory as much as Finding Nemo. And then mm -hmm. I also have this reason, which is that I don't like the whole truck car situation. So we start with... Do you mean the existence of trucks and cars? Because I am with you. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> Dory's plan... Uh -huh. I'm just going to move past that. <laughs> um, Dory's plan is to launch herself and a bunch of otters mm -hmm. onto the middle of the highway mm -hmm. in order to stop traffic because the otters are so cute that people will stop to look at them. Yeah. Putting the otters in harm's way for her own personal gain. I think at this point, I just, it's so hard to suspend my disbelief. And I know how silly that sounds in a movie about talking fish. <laughs> but <laughs> we have established some basic rules. It is our world's just the fish can talk to one another mm -hmm. and we understand that and that's good but then the idea of a row of otters stopping traffic based on their cuteness it really pushes the boundaries to me 
of what is realistic. I just feel ridiculous saying this. So it's not... Okay, just to clarify, your critique is that in a movie about talking fish, where the fish routinely launch themselves out of water with the hopes of being somehow put back into water, (laughs) that a bunch of otters lining up across a road and the cars stopping for those otters is too out there. I know that I sound silly, but I I said a smart thing, I think, about the theme of this movie, so I feel like I have earned (laughs) my silly critique. Um, It's not that the cars are stopping to look at otters, because I understand that. Mm -hmm. It's that they line up to block traffic on a highway, and Mm -hmm. then the cars, like, skid to a stop, and then they're like, oh my gosh, the otters are so cute. And then all the cars also skid to a stop. And Mm -hmm. then it just continues to be so out there when the octopus starts driving the giant truck. And every time, like, last time when we saw this, and then this time, I just, I can't help it. I just watch it, and I think octopuses octopodes i think cannot drive no and it it just totally takes me out of the movie i don't know it's just i i don't know i i do feel like and i was trying to like understand this reaction because we see we saw the toys do this in toy story it's not the first time that we've seen non-humans driving a car in a pixar movie hell we've seen it in all three cars movies (laughs) but you know, the toys, we understand most of them have hands mm-hmm. and are kind of people. But here's the thing. Octopodes are smarter than people and do have hands. Kind of. They have suction cups attached to legs. Look, I see I see where you're going. Obviously, it is a ridiculous thing. And also something I really like about the rest of the movie is that There's a disconnect between the human world and the animal world, and the animals are having all these adventures, and the humans next to them don't really notice, right? It gets back to this theme that we've been seeing since Toy Story, that there are adventures that are being had by lots of different creatures all around us that we never notice. Yes. Maybe when the fish tank gets scummy, That's because the littlest fish swam up the tank, (laughs) put a rock in the turbine, whatever, and they're planning an escape. Maybe when the sea lions start yelling, they're not just kind of howling because that's what sea lions do. They're actually calling their bird friend to transport some other fish from one area (laughs) into another. Like, maybe all these creatures are having these adventures. And to me, it was the rigidity of the otters lining up across the street with a purpose that it no longer was like oh look this is something that the animals are doing separate from the humans it was a direct interaction a purposeful interaction that the humans really only could have interpreted as purposeful right i yeah i want to believe that these things could just be happening right Mm -hmm. now out there In the ocean or in an aquarium. Those truck drivers understand that the octopus stole their truck. Right. Like, consciously. To go into the ocean. Yeah, like, that was a plan. It wasn't like, oh, my God, it just happened. Like, no, that octopus tried to do that. Right. 
It was a robbery. <laughs> heist, 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 heist. Yeah. So that takes me out of the movie. But back to the car crash watch. Mm-hmm. I was impressed because despite having total chaos on the freeway, mm-hmm. the car skid to a stop because of the otters. And the octopus drives the car in the wrong direction down the yeah. highway and then jumps over the rail into Mm -hmm. the ocean. It's total chaos, and yet no cars crash into one another. And I do feel like they have now looked at this and said, that doesn't seem like a good thing to put on people dying in a car crash. Let's not have any car crashes. Yeah, they certainly could have had two of the cars bump into each other, and they didn't, and props for that. It felt like a very intentional choice that they didn't. It did. They, much like Marlin, have learned, (laughs) even though their instincts still might not be good. Their instincts were chaotic car chase. And then they said, but no death. (laughs) Yeah. Thank God. Yeah. Nothing to ruin a kid's movie about talking fish like humans dying in the infernos of cars. (laughs) Are we going to cut that or leave that in? (laughs) Leave that in. Okay. Aside from that critique... (laughs) Mm-hmm. I think this was a really great movie. And, you know, I did like the heist aspect. And not just the heist, a prison break. Because at the end, this is about getting Nemo and Marlin out of this truck going to Cleveland, out of a place where they're trapped, and putting them back into the ocean. Sure, we all see that. But also, I want to think about this Marine Life Center. Hmm. <laughs> I am nervous to see where you're going with this. What is it that Sigourney Weaver keeps saying the goal of this Marine Life Center is? Rescue, rehabilitation, and release. Does that remind you of anything? For example, a rehabilitation center? I think that the Marine Life Center represents an institution, whether that is a prison or a mental institution. We see this because all the fish in the institution have some sort of disability or are seen as abnormal in some way. We see this in a lot of the creatures, whether they be fish or octopodes or seals nearby the aquarium. To be very hot-takey about it, I think this movie is talking about the criminalization of mental health in America. I thought that they were going to go there because when we we first see this institution... The camera kind of pans up mm-hmm. and we hear Sigourney Weaver's voice in the the distance, kind of voice of God mm-hmm. saying, this is the rehabilitation and release center. And it's kind of scary. And then there's this big evil music playing. Mm-hmm. And it seems like it sets us up to feel like this is a scary, bad institution. And rehabilitation and release are fundamental to the prison ideology. In one of my favorite movies, The Shawshank Redemption, that's a recurring theme. Are you rehabilitated? If you are rehabilitated, you can be released. Right. Of course, we don't see that so much in prisons. (laughs) We don't see actual rehabilitation. Yes. It is part of what the mythos of prisons is. But the reality of prisons isn't that. So I thought that that was going to kind of be what this movie was saying. When we have Sigourney Weaver saying this is about rehabilitation and release, 
set up against the backdrop of this very institutional looking building and then this evil music swelling Mm -hmm. it seems very clearly setting us up for this kind of breaking down of why this is a problematic structure i don't know that the movie thinks it is a problematic structure and i think that is really bad because it certainly is right this is certainly not a good thing and as you said like the real theme of this movie is your disability does not prevent you from leading a true, open, valuable, meaningful life. I think much like Marlon, the movie knows that in a thoughtful way. But I still think that the immediate highline reaction from this movie is still in favor of the institutionalization of people with disabilities. And I don't think that it's talking about this being a problematic thing. I think it's saying that in some ways it is normal which I think is really harmful. And the reason I'm saying this is because of what Andrew Stanton has done in his other movies. In Finding Nemo, Andrew Stanton takes a pretty didactic view of parenting. It's a wonderful movie. We really like it. But it's also very clear what he thinks good parenting is and isn't. And of course, in Wally, he has very strong ideas about institutions and labor and capitalism that we think are pretty harmful. I don't necessarily think that Andrew Stanton is against this idea that prisons do serve a useful role in rehabilitation. Oh my God. So you're saying that Andrew Stanton slash Finding Dory is a pro-prison slash mental institution movie? Kind of. Wow. <laughs> I think the movie is saying that, yes, people like Dory would be safer in these institutions, not understanding the context that they put in their own movie, which is that disability only exists in context. Disability is about how you interact with the world around you, writes about abnormality in quotes and heavy quotations about the way that you interact with the world. And that's all societally built, right? There's nothing abnormal about a wheelchair. It doesn't affect how you live your life if everything is ADA compliant. But when you're in a world of stairs, it absolutely hurts. Same thing with Destiny, the nearsighted shark. The way that she is convinced to jump out of the aquarium is when she hears that there are no walls in the ocean because she keeps bumping into walls because she can't see them. And in the ocean, that's not a thing that matters. In the ocean, her disability is not a disability. It's not even a thing. It's just something that is about her, right? She's nearsighted, but it doesn't really matter. But in a particular context, it does matter. I don't necessarily know, even though the movie has an example of that, I still think that the movie is saying, well, sometimes people need to be protected. And Dory, for example, can't handle directions, is always lost, can't remember anything, So being in a contained space is actually very good for her, which again is absolutely a problematic thing for the movie to say. I kind of see what you're saying. There are points in the movie that feel that way, but the movie does end with Dory in the ocean. I feel like that is more because the movie recognizes Dory's humanity than understanding the problems of the over-criminalization of disability in society and the problems with the prison industrial complex. 
But what about the whole idea in the movie about leaving the center and returning to the ocean where they can be free and not limited? That's something we don't see everyone buy into. Most of the fish we see in the aquarium prison don't think twice about it. They don't really understand that they are in cages. It's only through meeting Dory, who, you know, awakens the fish who she talks to and tries to get them out. Even most of the fish that Dory liberates, we don't hear from them that they are unhappy that they would be going to an aquarium in Cleveland. We don't hear that they are willing or interested in going back to the ocean. I don't actually know that we hear a single fish say that they want to leave the Marine Life Center to go to the ocean. Yeah, I think that's true. I don't think any of them do. The octopus actively doesn't, and he's Mm -hmm. really the only person who mentions the ocean. And Destiny the Shark recognizes at some point in the movie that she would be more comfortable in the ocean. But the rest of the fish, it doesn't seem like they are truly impacted by it. It doesn't feel like there is much harm to these fish from being institutionalized. This is the thing that I think is tricky. And I don't, I think that the take is really fun. I'm not sure I am totally with you. I'm out on a limb here for sure. To be honest, mostly I just wanted to talk about how we, how our human real world society uses prisons in really bad problematic ways to hold people who we view as different, even if they haven't necessarily done anything wrong. And that's really horrible. And I think that this movie allows me a way to talk about this. And because the movie is talking about it, right, they are talking about fish with mental disabilities who go into a fish hospital. They could really tear down that prison mythos of rehabilitation and release. And instead, they don't. I think that what is challenging for them is that they set up that idea. And I do think that they did that intentionally. I think mm-hmm. it's it's hard to watch that scene and feel like they aren't trying to set this up as a horrible, bad institution. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that they were aware of that. But once they were inside of the Marine Center, the reality that they're working with is that it's a Marine Center. It's not an actual mental hospital. And so... They can't really make this Rehabilitation Marine Center into an evil institution because we do have an understanding that those are mostly good, not all of them, and certainly not just aquariums. I see what you're saying. We know what aquariums look like, so they couldn't have this be, you know, a dungeon because also there is like a gift shop and a kid's part and... It's pretty clearly, what do they call it? Like the Morrow Bay Fish Center. They call it Morrow Bay, which is so close to Monterey, which is the most famous aquarium in the US, but like (laughs) it's just so obviously a parallel. And we know what the Monterey Bay Aquarium looks like. So I understand that they can't make it dark and dungeonous, but we do see a little bit that the experience for the fish is different than the experience for the human visitors. Right, and it's a for-profit institution. They are using the animals that they claim to be rescuing Mm -hmm. to attract tourists and visitors. There is a part of it that feels like when Dory is in the open ocean exhibit, it looks wonderful and great, Mm -hmm. and she finds her old home, and it seems great, and... 
It seems like she would be happy to stay there and the movie wants us to find her parents there and to stay there. And the only reason she leaves is because her parents have left. When we see her parents and the home that they have built in the open ocean, it is far, far worse. It is a horrible place. They're kind of alone in the kelp fields and the it's kind of a murky color and they're living by themselves just hoping that she will find them. And so it's interesting this contrast of their life in the freedom of the real open ocean versus the institutionalized version of quote open ocean. Yeah, and I think in showing that life outside of the institution is murky and difficult and life in the institution is beautiful, I think that could be a statement on the prison industrial complex. But also, I think it could be an acknowledgement that marine life centers are not as bad as the prison industrial complex. And really, these are generally safe places for fish, while the ocean is increasingly dangerous and polluted. When Dory gets taken into the marine life center, it's because she's caught in the kind of plastic that holds cans together. So we see the ocean being not a very welcoming, nice place in comparison to the habitats that are created specifically for the fish. A great movie about how disability does not prevent you from living a full and happy life, but sometimes pollution does. So, <laughs> Oh, that's so sad. I wonder if in Finding Marlin, the reef is going to be all like white and bony and gray. Probably. Is there a Finding Marlin? They've said that they could continue expanding the universe to take on the new characters. Do you think that Finding Marlin is going to be about how Marlin learns to trust the people around him, even though they do things differently than him? I think it's going to be about how very small fish can swim across the ocean multiple times in their extremely long small fish lives. <laughs> how long do you think it takes for a blue tang to swim from Australia to California. It's got to be years. No, it was fast because they went on the sea turtle channel. Okay, but then they had to swim back. Okay, I was thinking about how long fish live and if realistically Dory's parents would be still alive, but I thought that that would be not within the spirit of the movie. No, not at all. <laughs> all right. Well. <laughs> we really unraveled here. <laughs> well, we started off strong. Look, I think that this movie is really wonderful and happy and has great characters and says something really important about disability, like you were saying. I think the message is really clear, and I'm glad that we could hit that stuff and then kind of meander into some other <laughs> tangents, because I had fun with that. Oh, boy. Well, Josh, what are we watching next? Next week, we are watching Cars 3. Cars 3. Do you think that the cars will have stopped driving and buses will have taken over? God, I hope so. I'm not optimistic, though. Well, I am. That's what I'm expecting. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's going to be about how cars are built for specific purposes and are in a strict caste hierarchy and have no economic or social mobility. Well, we were pleasantly surprised by Cars 2, so clearly our expectations are high. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. And please, 
tell the person you know with the most Twitter followers to listen to us. We're trying to get some clout here. Come on, guys, help us out. Oh, boy. Thank you. (laughs) Goodbye.